So Peter, what is the Bible's own view of prophecy? So as far as the Bible is concerned, um, prophecy is not simply about foretelling the future. Uh, prophecy is speaking the word of the Lord uh, into a particular situation. But it's true to say that a lot of the time that does mean prophesying the future. Uh, and I would uh, categorise biblical prophecies uh, into a number of different categories of prophecy. Um, short-term prophecies uh, where um, within the lifetime of people who know a particular prophet and he makes a prediction and they can judge whether or not that prophecy comes true is fulfilled and that helps the people at the time to to judge the validity of that prophet and that's very useful for them back in history but it's not so useful for us today in making apologetic arguments because it's a lot easier for critics to suppose that the prophecy was actually written after the event. I mean, it all comes from the, the general same historical period and it's, it's harder to, to prove that the prophecy was said before the thing that it was about. But then you would have um, long-term prophecies not so useful for the people at the time in terms of making judgments uh, about prophets and religions, but much more useful for us because it's easier for us to show that the prophecy was made before the event that it describes happened and came true. And then, of course, there, there are lots of prophecies in the Bible about the, about the end of days, about the end time and the last judgment and so on, about events that haven't happened yet. And so the fact that those events haven't happened doesn't show that the prophecies are wrong because they still might happen but neither are they any use in terms of making an apologetics argument uh, so apologetically we would really focus uh, mainly upon uh, these sort of long-term prophecies and particularly of course prophecies about the messiah and the nature of the messiah made in the old testament period that are then fulfilled in the new testament period what criteria should we use to detect fulfilled prophecy? Okay. So I think we have to be careful about our, our methodology, our criteria uh, in uh, detecting or making an argument from fulfilled prophecy. Uh, it's, it's not enough for me to issue uh, what's called a, a Barnum statement, a very vague statement of the kind that you can find in the astrology column of your local newspaper. You know, if, if I say to you, um, later on today you will meet a tall, dark stranger. Well, should you meet a tall, dark stranger later on today, you're not going to suddenly be bowled over and conclude that I must be a prophet of God, right? Because that's so vague, it's not particularly unlikely that you'll meet a tall, dark stranger later on today. Um, so I think there are actually two uh, elements to a criteria that helps us to securely be able to say, yeah, this is a fulfilled prophecy. Um, you've got to have... Uh, a prophecy about the future, so it's not come from after the event, before the event, and that prophecy has to be pretty specific, not vague, it has to be uh, a specificity to it. And also that prediction has to be um, what philosopher of science Karl Popper called a, a risky prediction. It has to be 
uh, unlikely that that event would just happen by luck. Um, so, you know, a tall, dark stranger won't cut the mustard here. Um, but if uh, you look at, say, um, the nature of biblical prophecies about the Messiah, uh, you see a, a level of specificity about his, his origins, uh, what tribe he comes from, what family he comes from, and so on, where he will be born, what kind of actions he will perform, uh, how he will be perceived, how he will be received by the Jewish leadership, what will, will happen, to, happen to him in his sufferings, in uh, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and so on. There's a great deal of detail in those prophecies. And also they're about things that are quite unlikely. They're about things that, that don't just easily apply to any old Tom, Dick or Harry. So there's a, a level of specificity and a level of unlikeliness to all of those details coming true just by luck that the, the, the um, just saying, oh, it was just by luck that that happened becomes implausible to say. And so you need to look for a more plausible explanation of of how come this information from before the events was so accurate, it couldn't just be by luck. And that then leads you into saying, actually that's a good reason for thinking there's something more going on here. Uh, third question. What distinguishes messianic prophecies from other biblical prophecies? So in, in comparison to other biblical prophecy examples that we might uh, look at, uh, messianic prophecies are made in the Old Testament period and fulfilled in the New Testament period historically. And one of the really useful things about that that sets them apart uh, and, and gives them a particular strength in, in apologetic uh, arguing uh, is that we can show for certain that the prophecies predate, come from before, the events that fulfil them. Uh, because we know uh, from both the, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, and from the, uh, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, both of those date to about 150 years before Jesus' time. Uh, so... Whatever quibbles you might have about when particular Old Testament books were written, um, it really doesn't matter because for certain they were all written at least 150 years before Jesus. Uh, and so if detailed predictions made at least 150 years before these events are fulfilled in Jesus' life, uh, then you can't uh, escape from the fulfilled prophecy argument by just saying, oh, well, these must have been written after the event so that it seems like they're fulfilled prophecy. Fourth question from this segment. What can we learn from the fulfillment of biblical, biblical prophecies? So I talk uh, about making an argument for biblical prophecy and then making an argument from biblical prophecy. Because it's, it's one thing to say... Look, here are um, examples of genuine fulfilled prophecies that we can show uh, detailed predictions from a long time before certain events, say, 
um, that are unlikely to have come through just by chance and that therefore point to some kind of design behind that match. Um, in our general experience, when we see an, a, a complex or unlikely event that hits an independently known or given pattern, we naturally infer design. Uh, it would be like uh, seeing someone um, enter a number into a cash machine, a hole-in-the-wall machine, and it gives them money. Do you naturally think to yourself, oh, they were lucky? <laughs> or do you think, ah, oh, they got the money by design. They must have known the PIN number for that account. Um, well, that event, um, a PIN number, four-digit PIN number, is uh, a one in 10,000 chance of getting the correct PIN number for the account out of all of the possible combination numbers. Uh, so on any particular try, you'd have a 1 in 10,000 chance at getting hitting the, the specific number to access the account. Uh, now, biblical prophecies coming true seem to, to come true even when you calculate the odds very conservatively at much greater odds <laughs> than, than 1 in 10 to the 4, uh, which would be equivalent to, the, to your PIN number. So I think we should naturally infer design. Uh, uh, to account for the match between events and the prediction. But then the question is, well, whose design? Um, if we can show they're before the event, they're not, um, the, the pattern isn't explained by humans writing down and pretending that it's a prophecy, as it were. Um, could it have been humanly manipulated so that the event fitted a, a, a known prophecy? Well, sometimes, yes. So, for example, when Jesus rides the donkey into Jerusalem, he is deliberately doing that act in order to make a messianic claim about himself because he knows the Old Testament prophecies that talks about the Messiah uh, coming riding on a donkey. <laughs> and so he does that deliberately. Um, so you could say... Well, let's set aside that kind of fulfilment of prophecy because we can see that it, it could have been manipulated, humanly speaking, to explain that match. But there are plenty of prophecies where you can't go that route. I mean, how could Jesus arrange where he was born, for example? Uh, so there are lots of, of, of places where this match can't be explained by saying it, it's written after the event, can't be explained by saying humans manipulated the events to fit the prophecy. And that leaves you with um, an explanatory puzzle. And I, I would say the, the most plausible answer to that puzzle would uh, come from the, the religious context of the prophecy. Uh, so that the fulfilled prophecy would most naturally be interpreted as pointing to the reality of the God believed in by the prophet who issued the prophecy. Um, and that, therefore, fulfilled biblical prophecy points you towards quite a rich conception of, of God, of the, the God of the Hebrews, of the Bible, of the, the Hebrew tradition, and so on. Uh, in contrast to some arguments in natural theology, um, like the, you know, the cosmological argument, there must be a first cause of some kind. The design argument, there's a sort of intelligent creator behind the universe. Well, it tells you a bit about God, but not very much.
Um, but the fulfilled prophecy argument, um, because the, the most natural explanation being that it's the, the God of the prophet arranging that match, uh, points to quite a rich conception of the divine. That's wonderful. It's fascinating.